practicing that acceptance of things are going to be hard and then one can get through the hard times and on the other side there are maybe smoother sailing times ahead just always keeping that openness to nothing is permanent and you will move forward through any situation if you stay grounded and really keep an open mind to the possibilities and don't confine yourself to a bad outcome just because a situation is difficult. So these are things that we all go through as CEOs and people running big companies, but you can get through these things with intention and care. Welcome to the World Class Leaders Show. This is the one and only podcast for ambitious and high achievers, professionals who want to become world-class leaders. In this podcast, we deconstruct the success of high-performance leaders, share their stories, and teach the most effective strategies to move from average to greatness. This is your host, Andrea Petroni, a high-performance and leadership advisor, executive coach, and keynote speaker with more than 20 years of international and executive corporate experience. Welcome back to a new episode of the World Class Leader Show. Today, I'm with me, Jason Salfi. So Jason is a co-founder and CEO of Dimensional Energy, a revolutionary company that makes sustainable fuels and products from carbon dioxide and renewable energy. Jason has served as an innovation advisor for the New York State Energy's Research and Development Authority. In 1997, Jason founded Comet Skateboards, so a founding B corporation he licensed in 2014, and his experience as a manufacturer led him to consult on product design standards and acquisition strategy, building profitable, profitable and regenerative business models for a market-leading Fortune 500 company from 15 to 17 before founding Dimensional Energy. He has a Bachelor of Science in Natural Resources Management from Cornell University. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So Jason, the reason why we are connected because we had on the show before Eric Rubenstein, who is one of your investors, and Eric was so keen to make an introduction because he said, Jason is the guy that actually I should have on my podcast. So no pressure, <laughs> but definitely you had some great sponsor, someone that thinks and believes that you are a guy that needs to be listened and heard. So I think I'm really excited to the conversation today. So before jumping into the main topic, which is essentially a new startup in a growing organization in such an incredible, interesting market, which is the energy transition, tell me something I don't know, people don't know about you, maybe something I did not read in your bios. Something is important for people to know about your career that might be maybe interesting for us to, to know today. Yeah, I think I came into entrepreneurship through a different probably avenue than some. My background was in natural resources management, as you mentioned. And I was looking at two different tracks for my career, one in research, one in policy, but decided that I wanted to take a look at how we run businesses sustainably and ask questions like, why is it the default that businesses have a negative impact on society while pursuing the economic interests that they have? And wanted to answer questions around 
what if we looked at natural resources from a business perspective and proactively manage them as business owners and entrepreneurs and started the skateboard company on that premise. And we pursued all sorts of different wild ways of manufacturing skateboards. We became a B corporation, one of the first seven to commit to that. And for me, it's like always been about raising the bar, going above and beyond the standards, setting new standards. And for me, like before the term was used broadly like disruption. Disruption meant for me having an impact, a positive impact, both on society and the environment. Wonderful. May I ask you, what is your definition of impact? Because, you know, when I ask this question to leaders, everyone has a different version about impact. And sometimes, unfortunately, is a kind of a word that has been used so many times and sometimes it becomes a buzzword, which I don't believe it is. But sometimes, unfortunately, people, they probably have challenges to articulate it, right? Or at least we have our own version. So what is your version about impact? Well, you know, impact's pretty agnostic, you know, word. It can be positive or it can be negative. Yeah. It's all that's our intention. So an example of impact that is unintentional would be, say, like from if companies don't have a pursuit of positive societal change or positive impact on the environment, you could lead to wealth aggregation, like, say, in, in the terms of, like, say, your average Silicon Valley company saying they're disrupting, but really they're just wealth aggregating or forgetting to put vowels in their names. For me, impact means actually having a positive impact on society and the environment from, a, say, a regenerative approach. And that regeneration has to be, say, durable and long-lasting. So one would want to put in place measures for a company that aren't just less bad, but more good, in the words of Bill McDonough. And so this would be, how do you form your business so that every dollar that business brings in has a unit of impact in positive direction? Love that. And I suppose that sort of impact that you want to make in the world then probably led you to founding, right? So dimensional energy. Tell us a bit more about where the idea came from and what was maybe the early days of dimensional energy and what really is the company right now and what's going to be the future of it? Yeah, you know, so I'd been doing a bunch of work for NYSERDA, working as an entrepreneur in residence and helping clean energy startups launch through uh, Nexus New York and doing a lot of reading on what types of clean energy technologies needed to come to market, the net zero carbon economy. And what was really evident was that 80% of the challenge could be answered with, with clean electrons and efficiency, but there were still the molecules to play with. And uh, society needs these hydrocarbons that are the sort of underpinnings of having like a material-based circular economy. And I wanted to make the molecules for that type of an economy, the molecules coming from carbon dioxide, being non-extractive, coming up with a way to take what was once regarded as waste and have it underpin the, the economy that we wanted to have emerge. And that would address the other 20% of what we need to be truly, say, carbon regenerative and, say, carbon positive for the environment. And that was the inspiration for Dimensional Energy. It was like how to use trillions of dollars of existing infrastructure and redirect its its use from extraction to regeneration. Yeah, I think it's the concept that is well discussed in many parts of the world is the circular economy, right? So making sure that that's how you produce energy and you regenerate in your world what is already existing. So what exactly the company is doing right now? So I mean, what's your also... The vision, maybe I hope there is a bold vision for the future. So in other words, what's the impact that dimensional energy in your mind must make in the future? Well, the biggest impact that 
we're making right now is replacing newly extracted carbon from under the earth. So for every barrel of product that we make, we could subtract one barrel of, say, extracted carbon from the crust. So basically, that will allow us to use the existing inventory of carbon above the ground to make all the fuels and products that we'll need moving over the next several decades as we electrify everything and start to move towards more clean industries. So it's really about, say, addressing the really difficult to decarbonize sectors of our economy, like concrete, paper, these things that are going to produce carbon into the near future and make the hydrocarbons that we need to have society continue to move forward. And so there's going to be things like aviation that are going to need sustainably made hydrocarbons for combustion into the, say, next several decades until some new solution is made for flight. We've got electric flight and hydrogen-powered flight on the horizon, but those are a little bit distant and may have challenges when it comes to the long-duration flights. We'd like to create, we are creating a sustainable aviation fuel that could be fit into a sort of circular fuel pathway. And then, you know, broadly speaking, there's all sorts of things that say, as we transition to more clean energies, we also like to take a stance on, say, including more of the people that haven't been benefited from the energy infrastructure developed over the last century and say, how do you weave in durable community benefit to every say, big project that we do? And that's a really exciting aspect of our company as well. Wonderful. What's the current situation of the company? So how many people are working with you right now? What are your major objective opportunities that you see in the market? I mean, it sounds like a thrilling moment for those organizations that are operating in that space, given even much I'm familiar with the energy industry. So what are current status opportunities? And maybe we'll go a little bit deeper in, into the challenges that probably you face for you or for your organization in the future. Yeah. So last year we grew from six to somewhere around 27. So it was a big year for us. Right. We commissioned our first carbon dioxide to fuels project. We got that up and running in September, October of 2022. We broke ground on that in February of 2022. So it was a really big push for us. Now we're operating that 24-7, whole new layers of operations and integration of people working together. So that's been a wild ride, to say the least. That growth. So we went from a very flat sort of structure to a, a multi-layered, multi-nodal management structure that has a lot of need for growth. So we're putting those systems in place. We're about to hire another 25 people. So it's growing fast. Wonderful. And how the future look like in terms of two or three years, where you would like to be as an organization? Yeah. In the next two to three years, we'll have our first commercial plant up and running. So we're working with some folks here in New York state on putting together our first commercial plant and that we hope to have running mid-decade. Absolutely. We've got plans for plants all over the world, and we hope to have a pipeline of, say, 50,000 barrels a day worth of production being either put into feasibility or into design or into construction over the next decade. So there's a lot of work going on here to scale fast um, and answer the, some of the world's most pressing problems around carbon use, usage. Wonderful. And back to these very aspiring goals that you have, what are the challenges that you see right now for a business like yours, not necessarily your business here, Dimensional Energy, but in general, for organizations, you've been there for many years now. So they're facing such an incredible opportunity, but also a growth stage, essentially. So you are getting really at the beginning of that stage, which is really exciting. I, I'm sure that it is. You get new clients, you get investors, you get much more interest from, you know, from the communities. But what's going to be really the challenge for the organization, in your opinion? 
to get to that point? Well, all quickly growing startups are in need of finances. So we'll be raising money quite a bit. We think we have a good structure for that, but we will be raising a significant amount of capital to build the infrastructure projects that we have. The IRA has been a huge boon to our industry, actually. So, you know, the the hydrogen, the carbon, the the fuel subsidies that are coming through that, the infrastructure subsidies that are coming through the IRA are are like simply catalytic and definitely like to thank everybody who had a hand in getting that passed. But, you know, a challenge could be there that not everybody agrees on, say, that vehicle for starting new clean energy industries. So we hope that as different administrations come into office in the U.S. over the next, they say, several four and eight and 12 years, that all, say, remains in place and has a feedback loop that's positive for our clean energy and energy transition in the United States. The EU has got some great stuff going. Hopefully that stays. But these things are going to be challenging for all the emerging industries in the clean energy sector, whether that's fuels, batteries, or whatever you're doing. And so that's something we'll have to keep our eye on and have a finger on the pulse of at all times. Yeah, it makes absolutely sense. Now, I'm curious about your personal journey, right? So I'm sure that you've been through a massive conversation in your mind in terms of, okay, I started as, a, as myself, as a founder of this business, although maybe co-founder. Now you are facing incredible growth. It's fantastic. You know, hiring people, you're expanding, you're scaling, all the good stuff. How your leadership has changed, if has changed, in order to get where you are right now? Yeah, I think I've learned to delegate over the last uh, couple of decades, that's for sure. I and mean, really trust people and bring in the most highly skilled and, and just the greatest subject matter experts of all time and let them do their work. And having a great team that's complimentary is something I've learned a lot over the last couple of runs in entrepreneurship. Um, so dimensional energy, you know, I feel like is on the right path there. We've got a great team and it's just self-assembling into this really wonderful collaborative company, but not without significant effort. So that's really exciting. And by the way, we know by experience, I'm sure that you might agree with this, is many founders, when they start to scale their organizations, one of the problems they actually have is exactly on delegation because they haven't been really used to delegate tasks and activities because they were being very protective with their own baby to some extent. But it sounds like you tackle that challenge quite easily, or maybe you describe it in a way that sounds much more easier than what it was in reality. My second significant company. So I learned it the hard way in my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes you have to feel pain to learn. So I've got the benefit of having that experience yes. under my belt. The other thing that I think I've really learned is how to take care of myself and nurture my relationships. My wife and I are, are very supportive of each other. She's wonderful. And we work a lot on our relationship to make sure that we're feeding the garden, so to speak, and making sure that our personal life is also very fulfilling exercise and meditation. Our biggest resource is our mind and our consciousness. And so making sure that that's fresh so that we can be our best selves for the people we work with and the planet. So it's Really keeping things in balance and making sure that the you know, thing that you hear about working 24-7 doesn't feed into a negative feedback loop and we stay positive and creative and engaging. So that's been a big part of my journey. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I'm sure there are so many people in the audience today, they are thinking right now, gosh, I would like to have this equilibrium balance between work and family, but also making sure that my life is easier regardless whether I'm an entrepreneur or a CEO where normally the pressure is high. And it's good that, honestly, really, it's good that you found that equilibrium right now. Talking about mindset, you just mentioned keeping the mind healthy. 
one of the things that I've noticed in my work, essentially, so is many founders, when they deal with the transition to become a CEO of a little bit larger organization, they struggle a bit. And one of the reasons is because it's not really the task itself. It's not about really the role has changed, but it really starts from not being able to do a personal transition. We touched a little bit earlier on delegation, but there are many other elements that are normally distinguished founders in all traditional meaning of founder to a CEO of an organization is scaling. It's more about managing people, leading people, but it's also thinking more strategic about the future. How has been your personal transition from being just you? I mean, you said before, that's not your first rodeo, it's the second one. How did you deal personally with this transition? From the growth of the company? Yeah, from being just a founder or co-founder two or three to be a CEO right now, that's who you are, which is a different challenge at the end of the day, right? Yeah, it feels very natural. You know, so my co-founders were really great. Uh, Clayton, David, Tobias, you know, when we got this thing off the ground, there was a really a good equilibrium and balance between everybody on the technical and sort of business side. We had a lot of synergy there. And as things emerged, David Erickson is still on our board. I've been leading and growing the company. We were really strategic about how we brought people in and made sure that when we brought people in, they were a good fit for the culture we were trying to build. And as we grow, I think our biggest challenge is to keep that, say, family and caring mentality for the business, that it's going to get serious. We're going to have a lot of big work to do. We're going to be handling billions of dollars worth of infrastructure budget. But as the team grows, I want us to remain human and kind to each other and have a really wonderful place to work. So I think it's just about having that intention that sets the tone for your success. And it's funny because I think you just reached and go just beyond what is generally considered threshold of culture. So people say normally that when you get to 22, 23 employees, normally from that moment on is when you start feeling just a little bit of dilution of the original culture, which is it sounds to be a really natural process. In my experience, it's really natural because you're getting more people involved and they might perceive culture slightly different than what was original culture. It sounds like, based on what you said, you are really there right now, maybe in terms of, okay, how can I make sure that the culture of dimensional energy in the future is going to be consistent with what it is right now? Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And our COO, Dan, uh, called me last night around 5, 5.30. We talked for an hour about just that. And he... Okay his vision for how he'd like to see us organized. And as we go from where we are now in the say mid to high twenties of people, as we hire another 25, how do we make this, make sure that our goals are met where we become more and more streamlined and also have the headroom to keep the personal relationships and connections there. And so it's going to come with intention. You have to build culture intentionally not and not fall into what can be called default cultures. And so we're really cognizant of it. And I advise everybody to have mind towards that because it does build success and avoids conflict in the future or friction. Yeah, it's been less reactive what's going on. It might be more proactive of building a culture that you want. Is there any specific strategy that you are already thinking in order to protect that level of culture that you have? So I'm not looking for the details, but there is some overarching strategy or ideas to protect your culture in the future while you're growing? Yeah, um, absolutely. Being open to I guess you'd call it critique. And so hearing, having an ear to everybody who would bring up something that isn't working for them. We have an outside firm that we work with on organizational health to build this proactively. There's like 
therapy can be sort of reactive or proactive in my mind. And so like, I'd like to get out ahead of these things and build, bring in professionals that know how to build things proactively so that we are robust and durable and, and don't end up with fires. I mean, of course you run into all sorts of whatever things that are un unexpected, but if you can build a great system, you're going to be weather those storms a lot better. Wonderful. Yeah. Great idea. You mentioned a bit more about the business challenges in terms of growing and investment, which is typical in a, in a startup space. But from a very personal level, I mean, you also you mentioned the, the great things that you have done and the things you know that you are working on it. Is there any specific personal challenge that you see for yourself being a CEO of this organization right now? Something that you want to share? Maybe they can be inspirational for people because maybe right now they're facing the same challenge. Maybe they are dealing with it, they, have some, they want some ideas. I mean, they just want to feel that whether they are right or wrong, whether they are not alone in the world. Yeah, you're not alone in the world. <laughs> it's, I think, practicing that acceptance of things are going to be hard, and then one can get through the hard times. And on the other side, there are maybe smoother sailing times ahead. Just always keeping that openness to nothing is permanent, and you will move forward through any situation. If you stay grounded and really keep an open mind to the possibilities and don't confine yourself to a, a bad outcome just because a situation is difficult. So these are things that we all go through as CEOs and people running big companies, but you can get through these things with intention and care. Yeah. It's having that positive attitude about things. So what is your normally practice or habit to deal with potential you know, negative events? or circumstances that might affect the level of positivity to keep you open and looking forward to the future? Well, what is your personal way of dealing with negative elements? Because I know, especially when the startups, right? So, I mean, honestly, for all companies, but clearly for startups, the number of ups and downs normally, I'm not saying for dimensional energy, but normally are more frequent than other businesses that are much more mature or much more ready, if you like, to deal with ups and downs. For startups, normally the ups and downs are affecting more, either the business or people. So what is your approach in terms of that? In startups, you're going to get the avant-garde, you're going to get the iconoclast, and we all come together to like take on these bold and audacious things and move forward, right? And so you're going to run into, say, waves of friction or waves of just amazing smooth sailing. One needs to, say, maintain is their belief in everybody's ability to change and grow through mm. these big challenges and accomplishments, you have also like the sauce of people mixing together, right? And so you're just going to bump into stuff, but you have to believe in people's best intentions and ability to grow and get through anything. And that's our mindset here and it's working. So it doesn't come without challenge. It's not easy. It, it just takes the right attitude and the right amount of work and support. Yeah. Well, I can feel it just by listening to you. I can feel that that is in place in your company and people get probably very motivated by, you know, the approach that you're having. And by the way, how is working with a co-founder? Because, you know, sometimes when we work with someone at the beginning, it's very easy because it's, we have a great ideas, we have a great plans and goals. So some extent it's like a marriage, right? So at the beginning, there is all this excitement. And unfortunately, we know many bad stories about co-founder then they realize that, oh, you know what? We're probably not really great working with each other for a number of personality reasons or change of plans or different priorities. What has been your experience working with a co-founder until now? So having complementary skill sets and bringing d diverse different things to the game are really important. So David, one of the, David Erickson is a co-founder who still has an active role. He's still on the board. He is the director of engineering 
engineering school at Cornell. My background is more in socially responsible business and manufacturing and being an entrepreneur. So we have very complementary skills coming into this and an openness to listen to each other. And so that's been really synergistic. And people have joined the company in co-founder-like capacities as well, accepting their contributions. As a young company, when you're like sub-20, it's like almost everybody's a co-founder still. You're like really making it happen and building things that like a year ago, I just didn't put in place. But now as folks are coming on board, these systems and layers of collaboration are starting to occur. So, so giving people the latitude to create has helped, I think, our success as a company emerging with some level of like health and positivity as a group. We all just got together for the first time through COVID and through our company growth and everything. We all met in, Air, in Tucson, Arizona, where we have our demonstration technology center going. So we run this thing 24-7, making a synthetic crude from carbon dioxide and water. And so we had our whole board, like all the advisors and mentors all came out to Tucson, Arizona. So our whole, all our investors, folks from United Airlines, all got together and just really had a great time for two days in a row. And we learned a ton about each other as humans and people working together. And that was fantastic. So like that level of uh, enthusiasm and positivity is really vibrating through the company right now because we had this opportunity to have a retreat together and um, also show the world grand opening of the facility and everything. Yeah, that's great. Wonderful. I mean, I still believe that it's so valuable to meet together right now, even the COVID world where we, most of the interaction are online. I still believe there is a huge value in meeting in person for the reason that you just explained. Besides the fact that it was a lunch or whatever. Jason, I'm curious, what is, in your opinion, the biggest misconception about being a CEO? Because you are there and many people, they might have some assumptions, beliefs about the life of a CEO. Some of them might be right. Some others, maybe they're wrong. What is your idea? What is, what's the biggest misconception? So, as everybody probably has a, everybody probably knows that like CEOs are, have a vision for a company and they set the course forward. But I think that it's also important to realize that being a CEO is a job with a job description. So your job is to bring vision and forward momentum to a company and build a healthy organization, achieve great things. But it's still a job, just like being a chemical engineer or a project manager we all just have jobs. We show up and we do our jobs. And I view us all equally with a job description and the ability to do our jobs. And we all just need to be resourced and given the opportunity to do our jobs together. So personally, don't think of CEOs as heroes or figureheads in the broad journey approach. I think that we sometimes edify CEOs beyond, say, their the need to. And I'm just, I feel well-suited to be a CEO. That's a job that I aspire to and have had the great privilege and opportunity to be. But some folks are chemical engineers, scientists, project, everything and in between. That's just another job. So I just think these things are good to keep in perspective that a good CEO will even the playing field and respect everybody. I love that because you just essentially said that CEO is not just a title, by the way, first. And also is it's really about Taking the responsibility, because I always say, I think being a CEO is wonderful for many aspects because you can really make an impact to the world. And I think we have to be conscious as leaders, as CEOs, that in the massive opportunity that we have to change the world, but it also is, is also a responsibility. It comes with a package. It's a package that comes with responsibility. And sometimes not all CEOs or leaders, they feel in that way, unfortunately. Sounds like, okay, that's great. I'm a CEO. I can do whatever I want. I can... I can say whatever I want. And if something doesn't work or there is 
something bad that happens, it's pointing fingers, it's their fault. It's taking responsibility, I think, is a huge thing. And again, I wouldn't take it for granted because many SEALs, unfortunately, they, they don't do that. So I love your insights. Last question before the quick final Q&A is, you mentioned a little bit earlier about your approach to personal performance in terms of taking your time, your free time, spending time with your family, finding great balance with your wife. You mentioned as well about meditation. Has been any great insight from the time that you spent on your own during the day, either is specific habits or specific way of dealing with your day. So it's something there that can be useful for people to maybe right now thinking, you know, I'm not productive as I should. I'm so stressed anyway. I'm not getting on top of the things that I need to do. I'm not strategic enough. Oh, I feel bad from a health perspective. I don't do training or whatever. So is there anything that you would like to share that is working so well for you that might be inspirational for others? Yes. So I think you're keeping a rhythm to one's day, I think helps a lot. I try to do what's referred to as keep a beginner's mind. Remember that baby steps count as well. Sometimes when you're starting something new, you may not be able to perform at the level you'd like to be at. And so sometimes coming out of like an injury or even being sick, it just, you're not going to have your best day when you're recovering from a cold. So giving yourself the space to recover and rejuvenate, overstress your system and spike those cortisol levels and whatnot. Give yourself the flexibility. Look at the long game. So it's how do you perform over a week, a month, a year, not say hour by hour, because sometimes you might have an eight hour day and you just need to take a take a 15 minute walk or something like that in the middle of it to clear your head to be your best self and show up and get your work done. So making sure you keep the sort of expansive mind, I think helps. It's helped me. I'm 52. So I've been doing this for a while. It didn't I didn't like wake up in my 20s and know that I didn't need to give myself space and all this stuff. You just run at walls and go for it. So being open to mentorship, big thing, had amazing, great mentors in my life. I always think of, uh, I think back to a dear friend who married us, Marilyn Kriegel, took me aside in my 20s and she gave me a Mary Oliver book and she said, read this book. And she put a bookmark in the one poem where a quote is like, what do you want to do with this one wild and precious life you have? And it just stuck with me through my entire career where she was very intervening upon me at a very crucial age. And right before I started my first business, and I was just like, I want to have an impact. I want to be forced for good things. And it is going to be a wild life. I'm an adventurer. This is going to be fun. And it's going to be hard, but that's what life is. So go for it. That's wonderful. Glad that you shared this. It's great. It's fantastic. Wonderful. Great. Jason, it's been great. I would like to ask a few last questions just to understand a little bit more about your personality. You mentioned so many things, but it's been one single big learning throughout all your career experiences that you had so far, something that is worth sharing. Oh, something that's worth sharing from my career. The biggest, probably the biggest learning that you had until now? I don't know. I think I'd have to say that one of the biggest learnings, we read about a lot of people doing great things and we can get ideas for how to move forward. But I think what it comes down to is like making sure you're always being yourself first, because you're always going to be the best at being yourself. No one can be a better you than you. And I've, you know, varied from that at times, trying to like live up to say someone else's, what they've accomplished in one direction or another, you know, we do that as humans. But I find when I'm in my best operating mode, I'm just 
being myself, being true to myself, my values and my capacities and, and giving people the space to do their best. That's wonderful. Wonderful learning. And by the way, it's funny because we had on the podcast a few months ago, Doron Meyersdorf, who is the CEO of Storedot. He's operating in a similar space of yours on the batteries. And when asked this question, he's actually answered the same thing. He said, be true to yourself. That has been my major learning. So it's interesting, similar patterns from people that have been there for many years and they've been they had a lot of experiences. So wonderful. On the other end, is there anything that you would have done maybe differently across your career? Or maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a journey. I don't know if I could have done anything differently. I, I'm very thankful that I've learned some things. Thankful for my family to be so supportive and tell me when I'm straying. Lovely daughter and wife. I think that nurturing relationships, just making sure that that wasn't like the first like go-to early in my first company. Like I just felt like I was pushing a little bit too hard towards work and play, but not the nurturing of a very young marriage at the time. And we got through everything, thankfully. And But I could have put more time towards the nurturing of, mm. a, of a, an exciting love. So these are the things you learn with time and, and hopefully the right amount of support. But you asked me to be vulnerable. So that's pretty vulnerable. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing. I love that. Final question. What is your approach to learning? So. We all know, you know, that great CEOs, great leaders, they are avid learner, they keep learning regardless where they are in their, in their journey. What's your personal journey? And then finally, if you're a reader as well, maybe one book recommendation that you have for people if they want to get better. Yeah, I think I mentioned this earlier. I really try to keep a beginner's mind. It's not about knowing everything and proving how much you know. It's more about proving how much you can learn. So I just try to absorb information and put it into context. I also like to write the future and work backwards. So nice. my mind thinks towards where's the North Star, where's the goal, and then backfill the steps to get there loosely. And then I like to read and learn about things that fill in the gaps. And I think from a reading perspective, I'm reading Kim Stanley Robinson's Ministry of the Future right now. I'm a big sci-fi fan. You know, I learned how to talk probably in front of TV, watching Star Trek. So basically big sci-fi. So Octavia Butler, Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents, a lot of reading there, but I mean, she's a real visionary and it's cautionary tales. They're not predictive in any way, shape or form and hopefully not, but these are cautionary tales of worlds to be avoided. And it's inspiring to think about ways to build a positive and wonderful future for all life, all time. Wonderful. And back to your point for a final observation I have, I love the fact that you're writing your habit of writing the future and then going backwards. So that's something that not very, very actually people do. Very few people actually have that approach. And when they do, sometimes they do it wrongly because what they do, they just said milestones, but these are just predictable milestones, if you know what I'm saying. The great leaders, what they do, they go from right to left. But when they do that, in terms of setting goals, they're doing a way to understand what's the gap in order to get to something different than what they what could be predictable. Love that. Jason, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Where people should go if they want to know a little bit more about you and your organization? Well, you can go to dimensionalenergy.com and check out Dimensional Energy. We're out there in the airwaves and try to find me in the world somewhere. Not <laughs> <laughs> yes and please follow jason as well linkedin so guys thank you so much for being here with us today jason thank you so much i really appreciate your openness and this conversation 
Yeah, thank you. And it was a pleasure speaking with you.